Okay, I'd like to welcome everybody back to Alabama Care. And today we are at the Ability Clinic at United Ability. And we have a number of guests with us here today. Uh, we have Mrs. Lynn Roebuck, who is the lead speech uh, language pathologist. Marlise Delgado, who is the lead physical therapist and outpatient clinic coordinator. We have Marie Beta, who is also a physical therapist and a parent. I, I get that correct? Good. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Philip Crane, who is an intern uh, and a graduate student. But at this point, I'd like to hand it back over. Uh, Mrs. Beta, would you introduce yourself? Yes, um, I'm Marie Beta, and I have a daughter. Um, her name is Sarah Catherine, and she has attended the United Ability Clinic since she was probably two years old, um, and now she is almost 12. So about 10 years we've been here um, getting services from the clinic. Yeah, so this is really kind of home base outside of home it uh, is. for your daughter. It is. We are very close to everyone here. How did you hear about United or Ability Clinic? Um, well, it's a small world. So I um, was in physical therapy school and I did my internship at, U at United Ability. And so I got to know Lynn and Marlise back then, 20 something years ago. <laughs> and then it turns out that I had a daughter with a disability that needed the services. Yeah. So I knew exactly where to go. It's amazing how much an internship can kind of open those doors. We did a broadcast with Lakeshore uh, two weeks ago. And a number of the individuals that, that work at Lakeshore said they started off as an internship. Uh, so I always give that shout out for anybody going through college or you know working in high school wanting to get into the field. That's how you get your, your foot in the door there. And we, we have a preschool um, next door and we have a program in the summer for teenagers. And we've had some of the teenagers who have come through that program later on be parents who have had a child with a disability mm -hmm. that have used our services. Yeah. So it is a very, very small world. They have that base knowledge circle. there. Yeah, yes. they, that's how they found out about us. It. And it's great in high school because you have to, in a lot of high schools, you mm -hmm. have to get community involvement hours. Mm -hmm. uh, so it works out for all parties involved. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mrs. Roebuck, if you would introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Lynn Roebuck and I'm a speech language pathologist and um, I've been here at United Ability for about 24 years. Okay, so you know, quite, quite a bit going around here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and um, Mrs. Delgado, if you would introduce yourself. I'm Marlise Delgado, and I'm a physical therapist here. I work in our preschool and in our outpatient clinic, and I've been here for 25 years. So you guys started right around the same time. Mm -hmm. yeah. You two thick as thieves, I better share an office. Yes, we share an office, <laughs> yes. You gotta keep these two under your wraps. <laughs> You're not the first person to say that. <laughs> uh, and Mr. Crane, if you would introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Phil Crane. I'm a grad student at Troy in their MPHA program, and I uh, actually grew up using uh, the United Abilities uh, Services and their Ability Clinic. As uh, I said, I, I came here as a as a, as a disabled kid, uh, getting services and stuff like that. So that's kind of that was my familiarity with it when I was trying to figure out my internship for my MPHA. So. Yeah, and I bet it's cool to see like the leaps and bounds that United Ability has had since you've received services here and how. It's yeah, changed. I said it's yeah, it's been really. It's uh, I just kind of watched it grow from afar, and so it's kind of been cool to come back and see uh, a lot of the people that I, I interacted with growing up, either as as therapists you know, here and elsewhere. And it's like, oh, hey, you're here now. And you kind of run into them again. So it's kind of a very familiar, like others have said, it's a very small world mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to disability and disability services. So and I, I bet it's awesome for the professionals um, to, to see what you've been able to do and, and continue to do here, um, kind of reinforce, you know, uh, all, all the good that United Ability does. If there's one thing you had to pick out that you're like, I wish we had this back in the day that is now here, is there something that sticks out? 
Um, not really. I mean, I said it's been it's been a while since I've been back at getting service. It's been a couple of years now, and so it's I'm kind of and I I saw more one side versus the other, and so I'm not totally. I said I'm learning more in the last few days. I've been, <laughs> been here about a week, and I've learned more in the last week about what all they do than than I knew um, even in you know 20 years of receiving services. So. I think that's something that kind of goes underappreciated sometimes is all the work that goes behind um, the services that are there for individuals and families. Um, a lot of times it may boil down to a, like a one hour a week meeting or something like that, but all the work that goes in behind that, the training, uh, the organization, the tools. Um, so it's cool to see the other side of that. Yeah, definitely. So I'd like to open it up um, for anybody that's unfamiliar with the Ability Clinic. The Ability Clinic is under United Ability, and I'm familiar with United Ability. I have a family member. She's 57, and she did a number of outpatient services at the Link Point Center, uh, communication therapy, that kind of stuff, and continues to see her cerebral palsy doctor there at the Link Point Center. I am not familiar with the Ability Clinic at all. This is my first time here. So what exactly is the Ability Clinic for anyone that's unfamiliar? Ability Clinic um, houses sort of two interrelated but separate programs. We have a medical clinic that has, at this point, three different doctors who rotate through for services here. We have a rehab physician and we have another pediatrician who comes through and then another doctor who sees kids who have um, um, maybe behavioral issues or the parents think that they might have a, a diagnosis of autism. So we have those three kind of distinctive doctors. And the pediatrician who comes here sees kids who have rehab issues. So she, it's, it's that type of pediatrician. Um, that's what we're doing now with the clinic upstairs. And downstairs in our clinic, we have physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. Um, we have a very small clinic. Um, we do have a waiting list, but we see kids from birth through age 14. We're a little different from other clinics. One, because of our size, we're small, but we're very holistic. Our therapists really, we work closely together, um, making sure that our goals are kind of aligned. Um, we work closely with the families. We want the families involved, not only with setting goals, but in on the sessions. Um, we want the families to be able to carry out um, the things that we're working on in their homes because if you are coming in once a week or twice a week, which kind of depends on what your child needs, um, if, if, we can't, if we can't delegate it to you, your progress is going to be a lot slower. So we really we, we like a lot of involvement and sometimes we'll co-treat. Sometimes PT and speech will work together or PT and OT. Mm -hmm. It, it's not like you can drop your kid off here for an hour a week and expect crazy results. And I think that happens in a, you know, you can't go to practice one hour a week and expect to excel at, at a high level. And there also, also times are, is disconnect between receiving services and then those continuing at home, mm -hmm. which you'll see uh, a lot of times with teachers, like, you know, the homework assignment and then the parents don't reinforce, you know, you have to continue doing this work at home. Yeah. I think it's very important to get the family involved there. Um, I would like to comment on the word clinic. I hear that word and, and it's in, in the ability clinic, but being here, it feels more like a preschool uh, than a clinic. When I hear clinic, I think of more doctor's office and yes, those services are available here, but the, the community and the feel that I get from being here is very open and unclinical. Um, I always want to describe it as a school. We, we like that environment of education. And um, like she was saying that, that 
that families family training is an integral part of what we do but we also learn so much from the from the parents and the families it's just an exchange of information on both sides but yeah the feel of it is more educational maybe less medical yeah yeah I mean, no, you guys can't see it, but there's a huge playground behind me here and kids are, you know, having a blast in the background. Yeah. So I love to see it. Well, we do share a playground with the preschool. Yeah. The, we're, our building is in sort of a U shape and in the center is a large playground, which outpatient shares with preschool. We also have a large nature trail that runs all over our campus and you run into all kinds of different people when you're using that. So we don't stay in those clinic rooms that we have. Mm -hmm. We use all of our facilities. And you mentioned that there are individuals here who receive services, but also um, some that don't receive services. So there's a good mix of kids playing together uh, that have different levels of abilities, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is really cool. So even if you're looking for a school, preschool, um, you can come here and guarantee that your child gets to interact with all different abilities and all different students. I think that's really important because we take that with us as we grow up. I think a lot of the times we'll have conversations where we feel frustrated in the disability community that others aren't picking up on stuff. Right. Um, but I think that's just a lack of awareness. And if you can get that awareness at such a young age where kids are just playing together, I think that carries through. Uh, Mr. Crane, would you like to kind of add anything there? <laughs> I would like to add something. Oh, sorry. Please. Um, I was just going to say, when, when I was an intern here uh, years ago, I, I had already like vowed to myself that, that my children were going to go here as typical children. Yeah. So because I got to see um, how much the typical kids learned um, like empathy and compassion and communication in a different way. And there were so many, so many worlds that were open to them. And so I, I had already said my typical kids are going to go to United Ability when they... Um, when I have children, I mean, I wasn't even married at the time. And then it turns out that um, my you know, fourth daughter ended up going, she went to the school for a little while when she was two. So it was just um, a full circle moment again yeah. of, it does teach you so much to be a typical child in this kind of environment. And my, now my own children, they didn't really, they live with it. So they didn't have to experience it at <laughs> school. So they learned all those, those basic, um, Everybody benefits. My mm -hmm. son, who's a typically developing child, he's in high school now, but he went to school here. And he, he really benefited because the world is filled with all different types of people. And you really need to le learn to interact with, with everybody if you're really going to be successful. So because he went to school here, when he got, it was always funny to me, whenever he was out in the community, if he saw a kid in a, in a wheelchair or a walker, he assumed he knew him and he would run right up to him and talk to him and he's still like that he doesn't it was just so ingrained at a young age that he just really doesn't care about that it changed his brain and I think I, I can't even measure how much that's gonna help him in his future life mm -hmm. now he volunteers here as part of his high school but it's it's not that is not something that is a chore to him. He loves coming up here. Yeah, and other people feed off of that, mm -hmm. uh, which is really cool. I'd like to talk a little bit, maybe if our parent is watching and they're having some questions about whether their child is developing at, the, at a process that the doctors or the schools say should, what are some things that they might notice that would want them to reach out to the Ability Clinic? Well, um, I'll speak as far as communication. Uh, we have 
we serve individuals that have varying degrees of communication and we ha serve uh, little ones who are nonverbal or have very difficult time communicating verbally. Um, we use a lot of augmentative communication in this environment. There's a lot of kids that we serve that have complex communication needs. Um, in the preschool, which that's also called hand-in-hand -hand early learning program, just to put that in there, um, and in the ability clinic, which we were talking about earlier. So, um, so yeah, if, you, if you're concerned about the communication development of your child, you can certainly call um, the ability clinic and um, we can get an evaluation for speech and language uh, communication. Mm -hmm. um, and that number is 205-944-3921. Um, now, what are some of the things that a parent might be going through emotionally, Mrs. Beta, at that point? Um, questions that you have, and what does that process look like reaching out to the clinic? So, um, <clears throat> emotionally, um, usually I would say a parent needs to go with what their gut is telling them. So if you feel like in your gut that something's not right, even if your pediatrician is saying, just give her time, just give him time, you know, everyone develops differently. But if your heart and your gut is saying, no, something's wrong here, then I would definitely take the first step and make the call because the earlier that you get therapeutic intervention, the better their prognosis is gonna be. These kids, um, I mean, I just wholeheartedly believed in, believe in um, early intervention and, and getting therapy services as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, that's when their brain is developing, that's when the connections are formed, and that's when, um, you're probably going to get to see more progress if you if you catch it early. So um, I love the go with your gut there. I was mm -hmm. talking with my grandmother. Um, so I moved to Alabama five years ago to help out with my family. My grandparents were aging, and also my aunt, who is nonverbal. Um, you know, her structure and her living environment had to keep going. Um, one thing that my grandmother brought up to me and. It was the very first interview I ever did was with my grandparents. Um, even before we got the grant from ACDD, I didn't even know we were going to do this, but I wanted to have their story uh, recorded. And it was just the audio. We didn't even have cameras at that point. It was just me with a couple of microphones. <laughs> but she said that early on in my aunt's life, she noticed that she would always throw up when, when, um, breastfeeding, you know, when eating and the doctors would say, you know, she'd grow out of that, that kind of stuff. But she had that gut feeling that you talk about and she, you know, kept pushing forward with trying to get services. And, you know, this was back in 65. So the services were a little bit different, um, back then, but, uh, yeah, she, she preaches early intervention as well. And, and I think that's a big part of it. And the statistics say the earlier that you do receive those services, uh, you know, the better off you'll be for it. Well, and something that both of them touched on is, you know, we have several different programs here and they all have different names. So I'd encourage anyone who's interested to go to our website because it talks about all of our programs. But we have another program called Early Intervention, the Hand in Hand Early Intervention Program, and that's for children birth through age three. And that program is part of, it's funded by a state program. And that in that program, we have therapists and early intervention, other early intervention providers who will go out to your home and help you work with your child and show you what to do. Um, and that is of no cost to the individuals. So that's also a good place to start if you think that your child, that something is just not quite right um, or your child's muscles are too stiff or too floppy or they're not looking at you or or whatever, if they're not feeding correctly, or any of those things, you can start with early intervention. And you can be in more than one of our programs at a time. You can be in our early intervention program, 
and you can be in our preschool program and you can be in our outpatient program. Um, I'm not saying you have to be in everything, but you have multiple options. Early intervention is just a nice place to start because it's at no cost um, to a family and they'll, do, they'll screen a, a child in all areas of development as part of their um, entry into their program. It seems like such a, a thing that you would do in that situation is, uh, are you guys at capacity? Um, diff certain programs are. Yeah. Um, early intervention um, has openings most of the time. And our early intervention program is not just in Jefferson County. We're also in Blunt and St. Clair County. Um, so we're, we're in other areas there. Yeah. Um, outpatient, PT, we have a waiting list. Speech, we have a little bit of a waiting list. Occupational therapy, we have a huge long waiting list. So it just depends. Preschool has a waiting list as well. It's but, good to have those waiting oh, lists. Oh yeah, it really is. Yeah. But I would encourage people, go ahead and get on the waiting list. You never know. Yeah. What, what might happen there? What do you think would be a reason that a family or, you know, I know a lot of times a lot of this falls onto the mom's shoulders um, is what I see in the community. Um, our audience are primarily female, but um, why do you think a family or a mom wouldn't call in? I mean, my biggest guess would be would they would be afraid that their, you know, their concerns are real. Yeah. Um, that would be really the only thing I could think of as to why they wouldn't call or if they just didn't have, you know, the resources. They didn't know about us or mm -hmm. didn't know about, you know, the resources out there to help their child. That, that might be the only reason. Um, can you all think of anything else? I can. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's still a stigma associated with disability and, dis and disability diagnosis and parents are still, I hear it all the time, parents are still, they try to, unfortunately, for lack of a better word, force their kid to not be disabled, and it's it's they they're so afraid of it that they 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 you know try and make them be typical, um, and that's detrimental to the kid. Um, it's detrimental to the parent-child relationship, but they do try and do it, and it's it's unfortunate, but it happens. Mr. Crane, when did you start receiving services at uh, United Billing? <sighs> I probably received services in some form i mean i'm 30 now so i probably received some form of services you know 28 years ago when i first got diagnosed yeah but i really started receiving services um um outpatient um because I, I had a backup and pump for 20 some odd years and so i received outpatient services here for that yeah and so that was you know 20 you know two years worth of services so yeah that, you know, that that kind of stuff. I'm so happy that you're here doing your internship. I think it's really cool that full circle that we're I said, talking about. I, I had I was lucky to have a contact when I was I needed to do my internship, and I, it had to be in um, nonprofit or, or government. And I really want to work with uh, the disabled community and help um, navigate some of the transitional issues that currently exist between pediatrics and the adult world. And so I had some contacts here. Um, because of receiving services for 20 years. And so that was, that was kind of an easy, um, it was a known entity and, a, and an easy, easy find. So. I know that that um, continuum of care has been a, a topic um, for the community here in Alabama for a number of years. I know that uh, UAB is, and USET are doing some things about that. But uh, while we're on the topic of age, what is the age group that the Ability Clinic can provide services up to? Well. We, we say that we provide services up to age 14, and that is at 
that's our entry point. So if you come to us, we accept kids in up to age 14. But if we're already serving somebody and they're 14, um, then it's a case-by-case -case basis because it really depends on the equipment that we have. Um, so for I've seen many kids who are older. It's just because once I knew them and I had a relationship with them, I kind of knew what equipment I had. Um, we do have an adult facility which sees adults. So there is a little bit of a gap there, but um, as I said, it's kind of a, it, it's highly variable. Yeah. Just, just to clarify, my, my 20 year relationship with the Ability Clinic was because my physician um, was here and based here. And so that was the, it was the, that was where he was. And he was the only doc in the, in this, you know, that could do it um, at, at least outpatient that way. So mm -hmm. that was kind of the connection. It wasn't, it was a, it wasn't some clandestine. Let's let's sneak Mr. Crane in. It was, it was a. It I'm was, talking about the therapy part. Yeah. I'm yeah. talking yeah. about the medical part. Yeah, because yeah. our medical services, um, it goes up. There's not a cap on the age that goes up through. Okay. Well, like I said, my family member, she's 57, yeah. receives services um, through uh, Dr. Powell. It used to be Dr. Oh, he just retired, and, and now Dr. Powell's in there. I forget his name. Yeah, we have Powell, and then we have, like I said, three others here. Yeah. But we're, we're experimenting with that model, so. Mm -hmm. But there is a disconnect while we're talking about that. I see a lot of it um, aging out of the education system as well. You know, going to, to school, uh, and then at 19 or 21, mm -hmm. whichever happens there, um, a lot of times, you know, the, the son or the daughter will move home uh, full time, and then a lot of that becomes the family responsibility. Uh, and that causes a lot of stress as a stress factor for the family at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, I have a lot of families that I reach out and say, how did you, how did your grandparents manage that for your aunt transitioning from the institution to her own home? And we have a lot of conversation about that, but I always recommend, you know, get involved with your local communities and you have to have another family that did the transition successfully. Start at 14 thinking and preparing about that. What does that look like after? Um, you know, those are tough conversations to have, but get in the conversation. Yeah, and we have uh, on our campus, we have our adult facility, which has an adult day program, that, which houses many other services. They have a job training program. They have Gone for Good, which does secure document destruction. They have contracts with businesses all over town, and that particular business hires people with disabilities, and it's housed right here. There's, there's, we have many, many programs for adults. It's almost, a, you know, if you're comfortable and this is the right place to be, you could be here from birth um, and receiving services and doing things and, and building the community all the way through to however, you know, uh, you want to Yeah, be. for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Ability Clinic did, was created. It was our most recent creation, I guess. I don't know. But we used to serve kids up to five years of age. When Marlies and I started 20-something years ago, that was the cutoff. And then they went to the school system. And for the longest time, you know, parents would say, hey, I really would like some outpatient therapy for my seven-year-old, my eight-year-old, my 10-year-old. You know, things are happening at all ages, uh, at school age. So that's when we created the Ability Clinic. Mm -hmm. I think Marie and I have talked about uh, extending that beyond 14. Wouldn't that be a dream? Um, so maybe there are talks about that, we hope, cross our fingers, but yeah. but yeah, and then we have our wonderful adult link point uh, that starts at 21. So just just trying to make that, fill that gap and help families, that's what we're trying to do. If you guys are throwing around new ideas, I'd like to throw in um, a dentist. 
Oh, yes. Um, it is extremely hard to find uh, dentists, and even I think that should be covered under insurance is not. Well, we, we've had partnerships before with UAB's dental school, and we've had them come over yeah. um, and see adults over at Link Point. That's amazing. And so, so they have done that before. And then I don't know where it stands right now, but I'm sure they're looking at bringing that back. Yeah, we shoot my, so my aunt goes to UAB Sparks um, Dental Clinic, which is, you know, kind of where the students get yeah. a lot of their training that stuff. But I hear that sometimes throughout the community, it's tough to get. My aunt hates going to the dentist. Yeah, right. It's a very painful process for her. She doesn't like people in her mouth and she will bite you. Yeah, right. uh, get away from me kind of thing. Yeah, right. um, so it's tough finding people, uh, you know, dentists that can really understand her ability and what she needs. Um, I would like to talk a little bit. So if someone's thinking about <clears throat> enrolling here, what does that look like? What is the intake process? Uh, they just call up and then what happens? Well, it just, I think it depends on which program, you know, early intervention has a very specific um, protocol. So you would call and somebody would call you back and they over the phone they would walk you through the process for outpatient you call up and talk to the receptionist and then email you a packet for um, link point i think it's very specific as well because that is also part of a bigger program part of the state program and i may be misspeaking for part of that but for link point i would just suggest that they contact link point directly again all that information is on the website and find out about it but we have so many programs here that you really have to contact each program separately and don't forget to go to the website and under uh, the tabs of programs there will be a tab for ability clinic and that will connect you to um, otpt and speech and give you the phone number and the email to get enrolled or, or get the information across and I, I feel like sometimes uh the family could be a little bit nervous is like you're kind of being interviewed um can you get in is it an sat score oh, no. uh that kind of stuff but so mrs beta you know was it a very welcoming experience coming in being course. part of course it was a very welcoming experience they were wonderful and I, you know their their main priority is the child and they would serve everybody if they could serve everybody um if they had the ability to serve you know if they had the, the manpower to do it they would not turn anybody away because i know their hearts and i know um that every person that walks in these doors is like turns into family for them so um, yes it's a very welcoming process you feel you feel at home they make it quite um, comfortable for you and your my siblings that would I would bring along all these children because <laughs> I have five kids so I mean everybody's welcome and um, and what I mean I guess one of the, my favorite parts is the fact that they kind of sort of become your counselors in life and they just help us navigate just the silliest things I mean how do you get her in the car or how do you get her in the bathtub and the things that you don't really think about like who's gonna really help me do that these these ladies are here to do that and um, they have so many resources that they can offer to that they send us out into the community to to, to find um, so once you're here you're never going to want to leave yeah. <laughs> it, it, it does become it's a family mm -hmm. and we end up going by somebody's house because they're having a problem with something mm -hmm. and I'll, i have a, a little boy that i work with an outpatient i've worked with him for years and he has a prosthetic and he was doing great in outpatient, but he was having problems in his bathroom getting in and out. Well, I can't problem solve that here. Yeah. So I went to his house and we problem solved it at his house. There's multiple times. Yes. Lynn's, Lynn's gone come to, to my house. Marie's house for issues. <laughs> yes. And one thing I love is her, she mentioned uh, 
Suki is her daughter, mm-hmm. Suki's siblings. I love inc- including those siblings mm-hmm. because communication with your siblings is huge. And Suki does use a device and that's hard. Mm-hmm. That's not always intuitive or, or natural. So I ha- you know, working with those siblings and trying to make that exchange easier, we love to do that yeah. sort of thing. Now, COVID has kind yeah. of <laughs> gotten in our way a little bit, but when things run again, with siblings are welcome to come into the therapy mm-hmm. sessions along with the parents and the uh, the child that we're serving yeah uh, i think that's amazing i would like to get specific on that bathroom so what was the the outcome of that <laughs> well because when you have a prosthetic it you take it off when you're getting in the bath so this was somebody who you could easily get in and out of that sort of situation with the leg on but without it yeah. you couldn't so we really were problem solving what are things that we could add to the bathtub so we were able to come up with places where she could add bars um, and get real creative because you can't none of the standard things work it just makes me mad when people say oh it's ada accessible that means nothing to me (laughs) because every wheelchair is different every person is different every disability is different so we just got really creative with um and i would pretend that i was the bar and i would hold my arm and he would hold on to me and we would practice with his leg off getting in and out multiple times of his his um bathtub in that small space so we practiced it to to make it work there yeah and you also have kids with sensory issues and they might learn how to do something here on another occasion i had a child who learned how to walk here and he would walk here, but he wouldn't walk at home. Oh, really? So once he learned to walk here, then I went to his house and walked with him at his house, and then he would walk there. It's gotta, you gotta be in the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. I can attest to two things that they discussed. One, the fact that ADA accessible doesn't mean necessarily mean functional um, for the individual. And there's so many times when somebody will say, well, it's, it's ADA, it's accessible, and it's like, well, except the way that you've designed it, the, the bathroom door, the public bathroom door stall won't close because it's, it's accessible, but my chair is slightly bigger than the typical one. So when you go to close it, it doesn't close. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a, a disconnect between ADA uh, accessible and uh, functional. But then I, I can really attest to the, the connection that pediatric PTs have to their clients. Um, while I, di- I didn't fully receive services here for that, I still have my pediatric therapy uh, or pediatric therapist in my cell phone. I have their cell number. Um, I'm not the only patient that has that number because we all know that if we ever have anything go wrong, they're one of the few people in the world, and it applies here as well, that understand us as well as we understand ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, trying to explain to a new doctor or a new PT, oh, I've got this going on, and that doesn't, it, it's hard for new people to walk in not knowing your history, mm-hmm. not knowing your, you know, what, you've, what your current ability is or whatever. And that pediatric therapist, so often because they're so connected and so caring and so all that, they truly do keep up with you. And they, they know, okay, you know, this is where they're at. This is what they can do. Um, and they, they, they work with you there. Even, you know, I'm 30 now. And I, like I said, I still have that number. 
Um, and I know if I text her and said, hey, I've got, I've got a problem with this, what do you think I should do? They'd probably know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> or they'll work to, to help you find the yeah. answer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they, I said they have enough connections. They would, they would know where to point me. Um, and you guys have both kind of touched on it. It's that, that friendship that you build over time. And you mentioned kind of counseling and, and you know, being in that group together. Um, it reminds me when you're talking, I have a, a teacher from high school that, you know, I was going through a rocky point there and she kind of stepped in and I got involved in school, you know, uh, class. Um, officer kind of stuff and so she i still have her number in my phone so i can relate to that a little bit and i also want to talk about uh what you guys mentioned the ada accessible um versus uh what was the word you used accessibility versus functionality functionality i thought that was really good uh, we have a 19 year old freshman at uab her name is mccartney hager uh she works for alabama care and she does her own uh broadcast on our channel and her broadcast yesterday was a story about accessibility on airplanes um for and, and she you that's know, a big issue yeah and uh, she has a, she uses a wheelchair um and she was going over like i think it was in 20 um 19 something like 19 wheelchairs a day were being lost yep. in air travel they're 19 30 day 30 it's yeah it's 30 they're either lost or broken yeah um, it's one of the biggest issues within the disability community there actually is a currently there's legislation technically in place um but airlines so rarely care uh, to be honest they they don't see they see chairs or medical equipment in general as just that you know, it's medical equipment, it's uh, luggage, it's not, when it comes to a wheelchair or a walker or something like that, it's, tr it's for lack of a better phrase, it's our legs. You know, and so if you break it, you've made somebody, uh, you've taken away their ability to move through the world. Yeah. Um, and so what we've had, well, it's been a rash, there's been a rash of it. And then with social media, it, it's a lot easier for people to get the word out. To speak about it. This is an issue, and so there's a there's a push within disability and the disability community to make airlines more accessible. But there's a push back from the airlines because they don't want to uh, put forth the funds and the the effort to actually do that. Uh, I'm sure McCartney has, has spoke on it. She's probably more versed on it than I am at th at the moment. But uh, I said I know I know some portion of that issue, uh, and I've dealt with it myself. Um, I'll, ne I'll never forget, uh, I've had people um, try to essentially steal my chair um, get, because people don't realize the difference between an airline, um, like airport chair that is used to transport people through the airport and your own personal chair. And so people will exit the plane and my chair will be sitting there and they will just take it. And then it's like, Luckily, I, I said, usually I'm traveling with somebody and they'll, they'll flag and go, no, no, that is not just a chair to take. That is somebody's chair. Um, but the airlines so frequently, they kind of don't do enough. Um, I said, so yeah, there's, that's definitely an issue. Um, um, that's what she was kind of saying. And there was an activist um, that had her own wheelchair that passed away. Yeah, she, uh, I, I remember the story and I can expound on it. She her chair was broken. It was a specially made chair that was uh, fitted to her body like all chairs are, at least of that quality. And they, they broke it. She was forced to use a backup chair or a chair that was not well fitted to her. She developed pressure sores. 
uh, from that uh, having to use that chair and as a result of the pressure sores she eventually was hospitalized and died yep um, and it's, it's a very tragic uh, and I wish I could remember her name because um, she was a fantastic activist but but I said but that's so that's what we did the she did her own broadcast on yesterday yeah. and uh, it really brought the point like the difference in the chairs and the dif difference in adaptive equipment uh, and how individually um, you guys work with the individual to make that their equipment their chair and you hear it when mr. crane speaks and I've had the opportunity um, to to sit in a sport chair before with mr. Bob Lujano over at Lakeshore he is on the uh, bronze Paralympic uh, wheelchair rugby team and so we did a broadcast on us on how to play wheelchair rugby, and those things zip but then if I sit in like my aunt's chair it's a totally different chair yeah I said I actually have both I played wheelchair basketball with Auburn University for a decade or seven years a seven-year starter and co-founder of that program and so I've, I've sat in both and they're totally different experiences as you touched on um, and so it's really but but when it comes to everyday chairs it's it truly is finding the right fit and PTs and OTs and seating specialists that I'm sure UnitedAbility has a ton of um, they do a lot uh, it really does matter I can tell you from my own personal experience that sitting in a chair that is not as well fitted um, and then sitting in one that is perfectly fitted for you, it makes a massive difference, mm -hmm. both in your comfort, but in your functionality. Um, because so much of your ability to move, at least as a chair user, at, to move through the world is, it's not just, oh, well, you've got, you know, xyz on your chair but it's you know can you move it can you move it the way you want it to move and does it respond to you mm. and like i said that is, that is an individual experience there's no you know everyone goes oh just buy the buy the chair you know right aid or whatever it is and that that's not gonna ever cut it um both because those chairs weigh a lot more than than um the typical manual chair does um and that doesn't even get into uh, power chairs which are their own um, specialty and beyond they do so many things with those now that I uh, they're amazing but I said it really does matter fit and and stuff like that and that's something here at the ability clinic that you guys will do it's not like it's gonna happen off the first time that you try out a chair or an adapted piece of equipment but it's an ongoing process um, well, insurance won't just let you order a chair for a child um, it depends on the chair but for like a power chair as he mentioned I, as a therapist, I have to prove that a child can use it before I can actually order it for them. So I have to have one first. So I have some and I have to try, do a trial with a child and have them use it. And we're actually in the process of doing one now because power chairs can run from, I don't know what the cheapest one would be, around $30,000, maybe $20,000, $30,000 and they'll go up. I don't know what the top end is. I think. An, Middle of the road might be around forty or fifty thousand dollars, but this is for a three-year-old. I'm talking about. I don't know how what they go up to for adults. Mm -hmm. um, so insurance companies want to make sure that they can activate it, and the communication devices start at I don't know. Well, you know, two thousand twenty-five hundred to all the way up to thirty thousand dollars mm -hmm. for augmentative communication. And these are systems. for little kids. Yeah. So we have to we have to prove that they can use these things. So we have them we so as a nonprofit, we had to raise money so that we could purchase these items first 
And the, the paperwork it takes for us to justify these is not billable. I cannot bill your insurance company for the seven or 10 pages it takes to justify a power wheelchair. Um, that is time that I have to do, I have to do that elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but because we're a nonprofit, United Ability raises money so that I still can get paid for that time and Lynn can get paid for that time. Yeah, um, Mrs. Beta, I was just gonna ask, it looked like you were gonna say something. Well, I was just gonna say along the same lines, my daughter doesn't use a wheelchair, she is a walker, but the same thing applies for communication devices and finding the right one for your child takes some time. She started out with a paper flip book that she used, a partner assisted um, method where the partner would just scan different you know, pages and she would give you a yes or a no with her, with her head, her body language. Mm -hmm. But then we evolved and Lynn spent a lot of time um, helping us figure out which the which communication device would be the best for her and if you don't have the right one then they're not gonna you know have access to their to their world um, in the way that they should and so I know I feel like Lynn knows probably hundreds of languages because on these communication <laughs> devices there's so many different languages systems that you could use and she has to learn all of them to communicate with our children so they're very individualized just like chairs <laughs> I mean you want the and it is a part of that person it is an extension of themselves. Mm -hmm. It's their voice or their legs, whatever, yeah. And mm -hmm. what I love about the Ability Clinic, um, Marlise mentioned it earlier, um, their interdisciplinary approach to therapy. And so when my daughter is in physical therapy, Marlise has to know how to communicate with her using her device. And so Marlise knows that too because she collaborates with Lynn. They share and the same office. Lynn is yeah. In, yeah, when Siki's in therapy with Lynn, um, and she's not in the right chair, she's uncomfortable and banging, she has to ask Marlise, you know, what can I do to make Suki more comfortable? And so they work together a lot to um, get the most out of each therapy session. Um, and that's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, see that continuum there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's so important early on in our lives to have that, you know, you build confidence off of that. Uh, confidence for yourself uh, to be able to speak and advocate and use the tools around you as extensions of you know who you are to do that and it seems like you just got to start getting in the funnel and as soon as you're in the ability clinic you know birth through 14 there and even even beyond you're going to be taken care of and uh, it's be a world of difference if you didn't get involved in something like that I would like to acknowledge chat here really quick and then I want to talk a little bit about the cost of the consumer we were just talking big figures there um, and they're all from Heather Sims. Heather Sims is um, at Disability Rights and Resources, and she says that they can assist during the transition period after high school, uh, even middle school age. And she says, I totally agree with the young man about PT. He's right also about the ADA and functionality. Um, she also says, yeah, he's spot on about the airlines too. And she says, fun fact, I was the 86th, 87th UCP poster child. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Oh, so, so cerebral palsy yep before we changed yeah. yeah so she was the poster <laughs> child there for that, that year uh thank you mrs sims for tuning in and uh being in the chat with us so we talked about big numbers there you know thirty thousand forty five thousand dollars um that's what you would think on spending a, on a car um mm -hmm. and we're talking about doing it in communication devices and in chairs um what are you know is, is there a way that's a lot of expense for a family what are some ways that we can help out families there well, insurance usually covers those devices if the therapist takes the time and justifies it correctly. Um, 
Also, um, when you are a new mom and you don't know anything about the disability world, um, you, you're kind of in the dark when it comes to Medicare um, and med Medicaid. Medicaid. Sorry, I said the wrong thing. Medicaid, and so you really don't even know who to turn to. And so these ladies and then other um, connections or other therapists, they help you figure out who to talk to and how to get the ball rolling to get that paperwork done so that your child will qualify. And then if your primary insurance doesn't cover it, then Medicaid doesn't. Then, then Medicaid will cover it. So, um, but as a new mom, you really don't know where to turn, and that's what the clinic helps you. Yes, yeah, the experts there. Mm -hmm. yeah, I was going to say I can attest to the importance of uh, a physical therapist or OT or speech writing um, their uh, their reasoning well. Mm -hmm. um, insurance unfortunately loves to deny um, whatever that you're recommending. Um, they love to deny it. That is, it seems to be their favorite thing is to stamp no on the top of whatever paper that's run across their desk. Um, so having a therapist, and I, I can attest to United Abilities quality there of uh, referring and, and writing the recommendation and the reasoning, uh, it, is, it is very important to have that connection. Uh -huh. um, because like I said, uh, even you know manual tears run between 2,000 and, and 4,000 depending on, you know, different aspect of it yeah and you have and, the, and they loved and insurance loves to say well we're not going to cover this and what they don't realize or what they do realize but don't want to admit is they're going to have to cover the cost of something at some point in in the individual's life a lot of a lot of chairs a lot of uh, um, equipment is ends up being preventative um, it prevents issues down the line but insurance loves doesn't really want to admit that hmm. and so if you can get the right fit right fitting chair the right chair for you the right communication device um whatever it is it ends up preventing issues later on yeah i think um you know kind of a invest early and i think you'll see that where if you do invest in the services and communication devices transportation um you know the confidence there you have somebody that's wanting to go and and get a graduate degree and wanting to work and be you know that kind of thing and and um you know just be a productive member of society well i mean it's 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 a when you think about it whether it's communication devices chairs walkers canes etc cetera, etc cetera, it is the way to navigate through the world. It, you, and if you don't have those things, you have essentially deprived somebody of, of that. And United Ability helps people get that. And so that's so important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it just is. I mean, when you don't have it, um, I said it, it, it does end up being an issue um, at some point. Um, uh, Mrs. Beta, when you said uh, that kind of coming into it, you didn't know, you feel overwhelmed, there's a ton of information out there, but like speaking with the insurance, it reminded me of wanting to learn about something, but not having the right keywords to search on Google. And then I'm just getting a lot of the wrong information or very vague information. But if I call somebody, as I was doing this the other day, there's a coding thing, a programming thing I was wanting to learn a little bit about, and I know nothing about that. So I had to text my buddy uh, and be like, hey, what are some good keywords? And then I went from there and was like, okay, this is exactly what I'm looking for. But to have that expert to be able to rely on and kind of guide me, uh, I think is a big thing there. And then also it just being in the clinic connects you to other families. So I got to know other parents who were feeling the same way I felt and going through the same 
things that I was going through and then also the families become a resource too for you and then we become one bigger family. Yeah. So yeah. A lot <laughs> it, of our it, families uh -huh. have connected on social media and they'll, one family will find a resource and they'll mm -hmm. share it with the other families mm -hmm. and they share it with us and then we share it with mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. So now we kind of have a network of even grants that we know about and one of our former families has started their own foundation and they provide funds for, um, for other families that need things that insurance doesn't cover. Um, we did a broadcast with them. That was uh, okay. Hannah Wilson did a broadcast with um, Libby's, friends. Libby's friends. Libby's friends, yes. 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 Yeah, so that Wonderful was very family. cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about the cost? So we talked about the equipment. Mr. Crane, were you going to add uh, no, something there? I apologize. The Libby's, Libby's friends, that was what I was adding. So. Yep. No, they're uh, a great family, and we were very uh, lucky to have them on a broadcast with us. Um, so we talked about some offsetting some of the costs through insurance. Um, but what about, is there any out-of-pocket cost to the individual or the family for the Ability Clinic? So we, um, we accept third-party payment and private pay if your insurance does not cover the services. Um, there is a copay that will be required for each visit um, unless that's taken care of by another if you have Medicaid, but we do accept a third party payment and Medicaid. A lot of uh, other clinics may have a cap on how many Medicaid uh, individuals they can serve, but we do not. So that's something here. Very nice. Yeah. And then for the kids who are in the preschool, there is a, a tuition that they everybody pays to go to preschool, but um, there's a very generous scholarship program for kids with disabilities. So if you're interested in the preschool and you look at the fees and you think there's no way you could afford that, just know that if you have a child with a disability, go ahead and enroll them because there's a very generous scholarship um, program in place for that as well. I don't have any children right now, but what I do, I want my children to come here in preschool. <laughs> well, let me suggest go ahead and put your um, yeah, child on the yeah. waiting list like before she was two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but before my son was born, he was on our list mm -hmm. here. <laughs> um, so I think the audience, and, and what I'm always learning, uh, concrete examples help me uh, kind of anchor the information that we're talking about today. So are there some success stories that you'd like to highlight from the Ability Clinic um, in the past few years? I would like to say that every, it, we measure success in different ways than maybe even the average person. So I can find success in every single day, in every single session that I have throughout the day. I mean, honestly, these kids and these families are remarkable in different ways and, and do remarkable things, whether it's just uh, learning a new word, whether it's verbalizing a new word, whether it's taking a new step, um, whether it's learning how to do use a new piece of equipment to make them more independent, it's just it's a it's a great environment. But that's every day is as there's some success in that. And sometimes it's things that you wouldn't think about um, that um, Philip touched on. I mean, sometimes it's just having a mom who finally gets to the point where they say, "Okay, I'm I'm ready to order that wheelchair for my child. I I I can do that now." Um, Sometimes that's success. Yeah, uh, that's daily success like you're talking about. Um, and uh, we have two 
success stories right in front of us, um, the Beta family and Mr. Crane. Yeah, I was uh, going to say that Sarah Catherine had um, a success story this year. Um, Marlise has worked with her since she was two, and then as she got older, she didn't need her as much, but we would check in maybe during the summer a few times. Um, Marlise checks to make sure, you know, she's not getting too tight or her, her orthotics are fitting, making sure she's still, you know, heading up with her strength. Um, and so for a long time, uh, we've worked on going up and down the stairs independently. And Sarah Catherine needs um, assistance to go up and down the stairs. She can't do it independently. But this past year during COVID, um, she went up 11 stairs by herself um, independently, which was miraculous. And it's a huge success story. And so now she does it when she wants to, but the yeah. fact that she can do it at all is, is a huge success and um you know it took us 10 yeah. years but we did it yeah. <laughs> so, it's we a there. year for each yeah. step almost it's huge. Yeah. it was huge yes yeah so, that's a big we, one we never give up on kids no. we're just because they're not doing it today or tomorrow or next year doesn't mean they're never going to do it so we're always going to encourage them that doesn't mean we need to see them weekly for the next 10 years but we're always going to hope that they're going to do the next thing. We're always just looking at the, the next benchmark and we're working towards that with the family. Mm -hmm. We don't have unlimited funds or unlimited time, but we have unlimited compassion for families of kids with disabilities and people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And we are, we are here for them. Mr. Crane. Well, isn't it adding the, you know, personal experience, random success for lack of a better word to, to I tell this story to my PT 18 years to teach me the proper way to roll over um, because I would I have CP and so my brain figured out a way that got me I rolled over but it was she was like you're gonna break your arm because <laughs> I would like throw my body weight onto one arm and like pivot over like a thing it's just like you're gonna break your arm one day you're gonna break your arm one day you're gonna break your arm one day well eventually i actually did break my arm <laughs> not not rolling over thank goodness but um i was actually playing winter basketball and fell and ended up breaking my arm that way but as a result of that it forced me to learn the proper way to roll over um and i can still remember my therapist uh that day when i did she's like it only took me 18 years to teach you how to roll over. <laughs> but by God, I'm going to take the success when I get it. Um, so it was just, it was kind of, you know, talking about the little things that they see um, as, as therapists and as, as parents. Um, it was it was definitely, you know, I just remember that moment even now, you know, a dozen years later, it's like, yeah, yeah, that, that they do see it. They do remember it. Um, and, you know, they, they, they truly, I mean, truly, truly, truly care. Um, so, yeah. Yep. We've had hundreds and hundreds of kids learn to hold their heads up in this clinic, learn to walk, take their first steps downstairs, say their first words, eat the first solid food they've ever eaten in their life, mm -hmm. or use their hands to, to cut or to put a shirt on for the first time. It happens and these, all the time. These may be things that maybe the parents or the family thinks will never happen. Uh, yeah. Or they're, yeah. Told they're told at yeah. birth they will never happen. Yeah. yeah. So they like the 11 flights, 11 steps. That may be that's, something yeah. that's crossed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Mr. Crane, I'd like to ask, are you still doing the rugby and basketball? I'm still playing basketball. Yes. Uh, I said, I don't, I, I said, I graduated from Auburn in 2000. Well, I finished playing for Auburn in 2017. I finished up my second or my first master's then. 
And so I, I now play for a local uh, local team near, or it's actually out of Auburn and Montgomery, um, I said. So I played for them. But yeah, um, as I said, I grew up playing for Lakeshore. Uh, so I know Bob. Yeah. Bob and I go way back. Are you uh, playing in the upcoming SEC tournament in March? Uh, no. Okay. I said no. That was um, no. So. We're hoping to do a broadcast there. We've never done like a live event sports broadcast. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Gary Pate, who as a broadcaster for the Paralympics, is yeah. going to join us, and I'm going to be like, "What are they doing right now?" And he's going to tell me. <laughs> he's going to kind of show me what it's all no, about. So that's, that's a different. I said I actually take because of COVID. I'm kind of taking, taking, I've taken the last few years off just because of uh, COVID, COVID risk, and not wanting to put myself out there yeah. in that situation. So. For sure, yeah. definitely understand. Well, as we kind of wrap things up today, um, I'd like to ask, are there any upcoming events, whether that's online or here in person at the Ability Clinic that you would recommend individuals or families get involved in? David, do we have any? I mean, we just have, I mean, we have our regular, you know, um, we, we, we have a family event that's uh, coming up at the end of at the end of April, Journey of Hope, which is going to be yeah. Yeah, we have August twentieth. But as far as like you know, um, you know, like clinic events, you know, those are always you know scheduled by the, you know, by the different departments and therapists. Yes. So, so mainly if they check the website. Yeah, go to the website find, for yeah. upcoming. <laughs> um, and uh, is there anything that we haven't talked about? that you think an individual or a family uh, could benefit from hearing? Kind of a wrap up. Yeah, I don't think so. Well, I would say get on the phone if you're thinking about getting involved and make the call. Uh, if you have a son or a daughter who you think isn't progressing as fast as they should, make the call, get in the funnel, become a part of the team, yeah. become a part of the family. There's nowhere like United Ability in the city, nowhere. There's, no, like, there's nowhere like United Ability in the Southeast. Okay. Factually, <laughs> <laughs> like, there's nowhere else in the Southeast like United Ability. Um, there's only a couple in the country, but there's, there's nowhere else in the Southeast. So. Well, I'd like to um, thank everyone for being here and spending some of the morning with us and uh, spreading the, the knowledge of what uh, Ability Clinic does and um, is going to do in the future. So. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. And you guys can each wave at your respective cameras. And we'll say, see you next time, guys. Bye. <laughs>